you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to find your place with me in a passage we began looking at last Sunday morning, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. We're in a series of studies in 1 John, and this is a book which is so helpful for us when it comes to this issue of possessing assurance in the Christian life. As a believer, God wants you to live with the assurance that you're saved. And assurance is so critical for you really to experience joy in your life. But John deals with this issue of assurance and wants us to have the assurance of God's love for us, the forgiveness of sin, the assurance that we're in true possession of saving faith. And every Christian needs to live with the assurance of his or her salvation, again, because this is key to joy. And so John writes the Gospel of John to those who were not believers with the intention of persuading them to belief, wanting them to come to faith. But he writes 1 John, 2 John, 3 John to believers, wanting them to be confident that they are indeed believers and have assurance of what they believe, assurance of their, their salvation. And so he deals with several issues, but this issue of walking in the light is what he addresses beginning in verse number 5. As an old man who had followed Jesus from the days of his youth, the Apostle John is calling upon the believers of his day to return to just a simple, intimate, moment-by-moment walk with Christ. And this is the essence of what he's saying in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. This is fellowship with one another, as the people of God, it's born out of the fact that we have fellowship with God as those who've come to faith in Christ. So John's answer to the problems and the issues of his day is a closer walk with Jesus and a closer relationship with each other as the people of God. Now, by the way, we're going to navigate the times. You know what we need to focus on above everything else? The most important thing in your life is your personal relationship with God. Nothing is more important than that. And then the relationship that you have with believers, brothers and sisters, our relationships with each other in the context of the local church. And John says you are confident that you know Christ and you're in relationship with God's people. This is where strength and joy and fellowship is found. And this is how we respond to the difficulty of our times. So let's see what the Apostle John writes here. Again, verse 5, he says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so I want to speak from this subject this morning, walking in the light. 
Within this passage of Scripture, the Apostle John explains for us what that means and why this is so very important. And and within these verses, uh, there are at least three important principles involved if you want to understand what it means to walk in the light. And we looked at just the first of these last week. But John says, if we're to walk in the light, it demands that we know something about God's nature. We need to know something about God's nature. And, and look at what he says there in verse number five. This is the message that we've heard from him and we're now proclaiming to you. As apostolic eyewitnesses who uh, saw Jesus firsthand, who received this word of revelation from him, we're, we're passing on to you, proclaiming to you the message that we heard from him. And it's a message essentially about the nature and the character of God. John says God is light And in him, there is no darkness at all. I'll be honest, I couldn't have preached a more appropriate verse last week when the power went out in the first service and we had no lights. But what a fitting illustration that was of what the Apostle John is saying here. What does light do? Light exposes. Light reveals. And so when the scripture says that God is light, this is... God's character that's on display. John wants us to know something about the nature of God in his holiness. This has to do with the way that God uh, has revealed truth concerning himself. Humanity hasn't just stumbled upon the truth of who God is. No, God has revealed to humanity who he is. He is light. But this also speaks of his moral perfection. His holiness, the one attribute of God that is thrice repeated around the throne of God is this attribute of holiness. God is holy, holy, holy. And so John is saying, this is who God is. If you're to have fellowship with God, you need to know first and foremost who God is. This is a message about God. The gospel is a message about God. And let me tell you what John does in this passage before he ever deals with our issues. Before he ever deals with man and his need, he first of all begins by declaring this message of God and his glory. And that's where the gospel begins. And oftentimes we get so tripped up because we want to make life all about us. We tend to think that the world revolves around us. The essence of sin is selfishness and self-centeredness. And so John doesn't come out of the gate dealing with truth concerning man. He's not dealing with my issues as much as it is that he's simply declaring that which had been revealed to him by the Lord himself. Here's who God is. And you will never understand who you are until you first come to understand who God is. You've got to see yourself in the light of God's glory, in the light of of that truth which God has revealed concerning himself. So the first thing we need to know about walking in the light is that it begins with God. We need to know something about God's nature. Now notice the second thing here. John says that walking in the light also demands that we know something about man's sin. Not only do I need to know something about God's nature and character, but I need to know something about man's sin. And really, everything that he says from verse 6 through verse 10 sort of flows out of what he has said in verse 5 about God's character. 
And his concern in these opening verses is fellowship. He wants us to have fellowship with God and to have fellowship with other believers. And if this fellowship is to be experienced, it demands we know something about God, but it also demands that we know something about ourselves. And so John calls attention to the fact that man is in sin and in darkness, and he's in need of the light of God's truth. In other words, man needs to be saved. Why does man need to be saved? Because man is lost. Notice that word sin that John uses there uh, at least nine times through chapter 2, verse 2. So he's calling attention to the real issue in a person's life. The reason that we need the gospel is because we're, we're lost in sin and in darkness and we need the light of God's truth. And so why does the world need a savior? Well, it's because the world is lost. Why does the world need the light? Because the world is in the dark. And if what we need is salvation, if the gospel is about redemption, what is the fundamental issue that it addresses? John says the answer to that question is this three-letter word. It's the word sin. Humanity has a sin problem. It's our most basic problem, and every person is affected by it without exception. And the word that he uses here, it's the most common word throughout the New Testament translated as sin. It's a word that means to miss the mark. He uses this word nine times. Overall, it's used about 217 times throughout the 27 books of the New Testament. But missing the mark, this is a word that comes from the world of archery. And the idea is that of someone who is drawing back a bowstring to release an arrow, aiming for a target, but it's impossible for the archer to hit the target. Because no matter how hard he tries, the arrow will always miss the target. He can't hit the bullseye. He can't come near the target. That's what it means. Sin is missing the target. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is failure to live up to God's standard or meet his holy and perfect requirement. What's the, what's the standard? The standard is God's holiness. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God's standard was laid down by him in God's law, and the law was given to reveal the fact that man is in need. Man is lost. Man is a sinner. And so if you're not as holy as God is, you've missed the mark. This has nothing to do with relative goodness. God doesn't grade us on the curve. This is about absolute holiness. It's not about you being better than someone else. Oftentimes, we want to compare ourselves with ourselves or with someone else and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, so I must be okay. But that's not the mark. That's not the target. The target is God's perfect standard, his holiness. You go through the New Testament, you'll find several other words that are used, words like trespass. This means to step across a line. Lawlessness. Uh, this means sin is breaking God's law. The word transgress or transgression. This means to slip, to stumble, to fall. It, it, it's a word that emphasizes our inability to live up to God's standard. So this is humanity's condition. We miss the mark. We miss the mark regularly because we can't reach the standard of perfection. It's impossible for fallen humanity. We step across the line because we can't restrain our hearts and our own power and strength. 
We rebel against the law because we're driven by pride. We stumble, we fall because we're weak, we're helpless. You add to this another word that the New Testament uses, the word debt. This is the word Jesus used in the model prayer when he taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. Uh, this, this means that our, our sin, our missing the mark, our transgression, uh, all of this, uh, it, it, it means that we've incurred a debt against God that must be paid, but we have nothing in our bank account. We're completely bankrupt in the righteousness department. We have absolutely not even a speck, not even a shred of righteousness on our own that would commend ourselves to God. And so this explains man's problem. This is what the, the Apostle John is dealing with here in these verses. He's using this word sin. He wants his readers to understand something about sin. Now there were some false ideas that had been creeping into the churches of Asia Minor. And John is dealing with these false ideas known as Gnosticism. And some of the Gnostic teachers were denying the fact of sin. Uh, even those who had supposedly come to faith were denying the fact that they were sinners. And so they were minimizing sin, they were denying sin, and so John is dealing with this issue out of the gate, he's dealing with God's glory, if we want to have fellowship with God, we need to know something about God, but we need to know something about ourselves. God is light, his nature is light. But humanity is fallen and humanity is in the dark. And folks, this explains everything that's wrong in man's world. This explains the chaos that's characteristic of our times. The chaos that's characteristic of humanity going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Sin has affected every human relationship. And every problem that exists among people ultimately comes from sin. Sin stirs up chaos at every level, whether it be in marriage, uh, whether it be among co-workers, uh, whether it be among citizens of a nation or rival nations. This is why we've got to understand what the Bible says about the basic elements of human nature. The gospel will not be the gospel until we understand something about the depth of man's need. Again, before John ever makes the statement that God is love, which he does in chapter 4, he uses the word love 45 times. He wants his readers to know something. God is light and humanity is in the dark. God is light. Man is completely unable to do anything as far as saving himself. And so humanity will often turn to a number of social ideas to try to rationalize why we are the way we are, try to solve our problems, but all we end up doing is misdiagnosing our problems. Our issues are not environmental in nature. They're not financial in nature. They're not economic, political in nature. They're spiritual in nature. And the gospel gets to the heart of the issue, and the issue is the heart. John says sin is the culprit. And when you understand this, this makes Romans 5.8 that much more amazing that God demonstrates his love for us in this way that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait until humanity had went through some form of 12-step program to improve itself before he came with the solution. 
God didn't wait until I improved my condition before he came to rescue me. No, God sent the Son on an errand of mercy, and Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died, entered this darkened world to save me from my sin. And so you understand this. I'm telling you, the gospel is that much more precious. God, his nature is light. Man, his nature is dark. Darkness is the absence of light. This describes the human condition due to the fall. And by nature, humanity prefers darkness over light. Remember the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in the third chapter of John's gospel. Verse 16 of that text, you know the verse. God loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But he who believes in him is not condemned. Aren't you grateful for that as a believer? But he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now listen to this. Jesus says this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So again, this is the issue of man's nature. By nature, humanity is fallen, depraved, loves the dark. A light exposes what hides in the darkness. And the most fundamental reason that a person will reject Jesus, it's not so much because he fails to understand the gospel, it's because he loves his sin. And unless God does something in his heart to bring conviction, to shine the light in his darkened heart that he will never see his or her sin for what it really is. And that's why you ought to be grateful for the convicting power and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's work is to plow up the ground, to make you aware of your sin and your need, the law of God. Uh, The Spirit takes it and brings conviction to the heart so that you can get honest about your condition before God, confess it, and experience the forgiving power of God's grace in the gospel. This is what John is dealing with here. Now, by the way, he's, he's writing to believers. We still deal with sin in the Christian life, don't we? We deal with the flesh. Well, what do we do? How do we deal with it? Do we deny that it's there? Do we say, oh, we have no sin? No, that's what John says a lot of people were doing in his day. He says you need to get honest about it. And so you'll notice that he makes several conditional statements here in this passage, each of which start with this phrase, if we say. These are false claims that a person will often make in a denial of sin. And each one of these false claims, John follows it up with a corrective statement. And so each of these statements, this is a shot across the bow of those John is addressing, for whom the word sin was beginning to lose its meaning. Look at this first conditional statement. Uh, He says there in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So anyone who makes the claim to know God personally but openly walks in darkness, John says this person is lying. That word walk there, it's in the present tense. It speaks of a continuous and consistent pattern. 
So John is dealing with those whose habitual practice does not line up with their verbal profession. If you say you have fellowship with God, but you walk in darkness, you walk according to the thinking of this world, the pattern of this world, if there's been no life change, if there's no consistent pattern of obedience in your life, then listen, John is saying you're not being honest about your spiritual condition. You're lying. Now, are we perfect as believers? Absolutely not. And he's not saying that believers are perfect. However, believers are going to be making progress in their life because there's a change that's taken place from the inside. Since God is light and in him there is no darkness, the person who's walking in darkness and is claiming to have fellowship with God, it's obvious that this person's claim is bogus. And so that's the first claim that he's making there in verse 6. Now the second false claim he gets to in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, John says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. To make this claim that a person has no sin, this is a sign that that person is operating under a delusion. Verse 6, the claim involves lying to others. Well, here in verse 8, this is a self-delusion. This is lying to yourself. And again, that Gnostic way of thinking, false thinking, false teaching, was denying personal responsibility for sin. So John is dealing with the person who's refusing to deal with sin honestly, denying that it's there, not accepting personal responsibility. The third false claim is found down in verse 10, and it's along these same lines. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. So he's saying in verse 6, we lie to others. Verse 8, we lie to ourselves. Verse 10, ultimately, we're making God out to be a liar when we deny the fact of sin. Because God has clearly revealed in his word that man's number one issue is his sin. And so are you to think that you're smarter than God? Are you to make God out to be a liar? John says, God forbid this ever be the case. So while there is no darkness in God because his nature is light, there is no light of holiness in fallen humanity apart from the light of God's grace. We inherited this sin nature from Adam This is the plain truth of Scripture from cover to cover. This is what God has revealed, and to deny that is to make God out to be a liar. Kind of reminds me of a story I read about a woman who once said to Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, brother to John Wesley, she said, I am a great sinner. I'm a Christian, but sometimes I fail so dreadfully. Please pray for me. To which... Wesley looked at her and he replied this way, yes, madam, I will pray for you, for truly you are a great sinner. And she was kind of taken aback by his straightforward reply, and here's what she said. She says, whatever do you mean? I'm not that bad. And honestly, it kind of reveals the way of thinking that comes so naturally to humanity. We don't think that our sin is that bad. But let me tell you something, you're not comparing it to the next man. The standard is God's holiness. God is light. And what is it that the light of God reveals whenever it shines into a human heart? It reveals darkness. It's got to be confessed. So you can't deny the fact of your sin. This is what John is saying. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we're lying. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So walking in the light demands that I know something about God, his nature, his holiness. It demands that I know something about man's sin. I'm fallen. I can't help myself. I can't save myself. I want to have fellowship with my maker, but how is it possible if he is light and sin is my issue? I'm glad that John doesn't stop there. Because if he stopped there, there'd be no hope whatsoever. But the third thing he says we need to know about walking in the light is this. You need to know something about Christ's provision. You need to know something about Christ's provision. Yes, our sinful condition, it's far worse than we think. But God's gracious provision in Christ is far greater than we can possibly begin to imagine. John makes these statements that's, uh, again, it's expressing some negative denial of sin. If we say we have fellowship with God but walk in darkness, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned, but you'll notice that he follows up each one of those with three more statements that point us to something positive and true in view of what Christ has accomplished through his redemptive work. And so he's reassuring us of God's mercy. So look at what he says. Uh, Notice the negative of verse 6. It's followed up by the positive of verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And there's the answer. Walking in the light. What that means is living a life in keeping with the character of God, the truth of God as he's revealed. How is that even possible? Well, I'll tell you something. There's got to be a transformation happen in your life. You've got to be born again. You've got to repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and God changes you from the inside out. The Spirit of God comes to live within you. God gives you a wholly new appetite, new desires. The Spirit of God comes in and takes over. That's what John is saying here. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ offered in the sinner's place on the cross. This is what cleanses a person from not just some sin, not just a few sins, not just most sins. But John says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is justification that John is dealing with here. You know what justification means? Listen to me, it means that the stain of sin has been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ in your life as a believer. It means that the guilt of sin, which seems to weigh so heavily on my mind and so heavily on my heart, the guilt has been removed by the death of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ has satisfied the wrath of a holy and righteous God. Now, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because the culture of our time constantly wants to drub up the past and drag up the past and wants to accuse and wants to impress guilt upon you and guilt upon your kids. And we want to impress guilt upon the system and guilt upon society. And we want to heap guilt upon this person and guilt upon that person. Oh, but let me tell you something. God deals with us at the individual level, my friend. And it is true. We are guilty. But I can't blame my problems on society. 
I don't lay my problems down like a bouquet at the feet of someone else. I take personal responsibility for my sin and get honest about it and confess it. But here's the good news of the gospel, that God is faithful and God is just to forgive me of my sin. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from sin's guilt. And you see how knowing this is so key to fellowship. God wants you to have fellowship with him. He wants you to live with joy. That joy comes by knowing that you've been forgiven. And knowing that the stain of guilt has been removed. And then secondly, notice that the negative of verse number 8, this is followed up by the positive of verse 9. If we confess our sin, we don't deny it. We don't minimize it. We don't make excuses for it. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the thing about light is that light has this way of revealing things that are hidden in the dark. And refusal to face my sin honestly shows that I'm avoiding the light. It comes easy to not want to sit under sound exposition week in and week out when the light of God's word is exposing some things in your life that you know ought not be there. So what can I do? Well, I'll just start coming once a month. I'll abandon the gathering altogether. I'll bury it and not deal with it and pretend that it's not there. Kind of like the ostrich, you know, that wants to bury its head in the sand. How foolish that ostrich is thinking that everything else goes away when it buries its head in the sand. That's not how you deal with sin. It's not how you deal with issues. The Apostle John says we deal with issues by being honest about those issues. Intimacy with God demands honesty before God. John says, I've got to confess my sin if I'm to have fellowship with God. That word confess, he uses this Greek word, homo legeo. And the word literally means to say the same thing. That's what confession is. Confession is saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. It's agreeing with God. It's not seeking to justify it, redefine it, make excuses for it. It means I take responsibility for my sin. I say the same thing about it that God says. I'm not trying to evade responsibility. I'm not trying to pass the buck. Isn't that interesting? That's the first thing that Adam and Eve do in the garden. When they hear the voice of the Lord God, when he comes walking in the cool of the day, calling out for Adam, they run. They hide among the trees of the garden. They sew fig leaf aprons together to try to cover themselves as a makeshift atonement that is no atonement. They try to conceal their shame, conceal their sin. And then when God calls them on the carpet, they begin passing the buck. Adam blames his wife. Eve blames the snake. The snake doesn't have a leg to stand on. But you see, the thing is, 
I don't gloss over my sin, but as the light of God's truth searches my heart, as the Spirit brings conviction of those specific ways that I've sinned. And by the way, notice that John is speaking in plural terms here, if we confess our sins. He's not saying that we sort of nonchalantly, casually confess sin in sort of a general way. He's saying, no, we get specific, we get honest about our sins about that word that I said that I should not have said, about that attitude that I had that I should not have had. I get honest with God about that thought that I entertained in my mind, which I should not have entertained. And someone says, well, what's he talking about here? Listen, he's talking about confessing sin to God. This has nothing to do with going to see a priest and sitting in a confessional booth. You have a high priest in heaven to whom you can go directly to because of what Jesus has accomplished, and you can confess those sins to God. Someone says, well, when do we begin confessing sins to others? It's when those sins have impacted others. When you've sinned against someone else, the pathway to fellowship means you've got to make things right between you and that other person. It's easy for us to want to retreat into our corners and to push people out of our lives. It's it's another thing to work through those thorny issues for the sake of fellowship. And you know, it means you've got to humble yourself. You've got to confess sin where there's been wrongs. But this is the key to joy, John says. I wonder if one of the reasons why there's such a restlessness in our time, such a lack of peace and joy in our time, it stems from a failure to honestly confess sin, both to God and to one another as we've sinned against others. It's easy to hide behind a facade of appearances, but that's no way to joy. You know, there's a story in the news just a few weeks ago about a Florida man who confessed to a murder 10 years after the fact. There was no evidence at the crime scene. The investigators could find no evidence uh, on this guy. But he walked into a sheriff's office and he said that he was responsible for a woman's death in 2011. He told detectives that the reason for confessing was that he had, quote, found the Lord and simply couldn't live with the guilt anymore. He found the Lord, but the Lord found him. And he knew that things needed to be made right. And this was key to joy in his life. The investigators told the media it was killing him. It was eating him up on the inside. You know, it's something that King David experienced personally. He wrote about it in Psalm 32, talking about his sin of adultery and murder. He said, when I kept silent about it, he said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. That's the process of conviction that he's describing there. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I was restless. I was weary. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. The hand of God was heavy on me. But then he writes this in Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, the thing is, if you try to cover your sin, God will expose it. And that's going to be painful. But if you expose your sin, as painful as that is, listen to me, God will cover it. 
And that's where joy comes in. And when I do this, John says that I can be assured of the promise that my sin will be forgiven because God is faithful to his word. God is just in his person, just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is sin so serious? Listen to me. It's because it hinders the fellowship that we have with God. It hinders the fellowship that we have with one another as the people of God. And it harms our witness to a lost world. So I've got to know something about God's nature if I want to walk in the light. I need to know something about my sin if I'm going to walk in the light. But I need to know something about Christ's provision. Aren't you grateful that your sins are forgiven if you're a believer? If you don't know Christ today, listen to me. Why not now? In an attitude of repentance and faith. Turn to Jesus. Get honest before God about your sin and your need for him. Believe that Christ died for you. And that his blood is what cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? We'll get to this later on, but that third negative statement in verse 10 is followed up by the positive truth of chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. If we sin, John says we've got an advocate with God. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he has been set forth as a propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means that he's an atoning sacrifice that satisfies the righteous demands of God. And folks, this is how we approach him. Not on the basis of our own merit and our own good deeds, but solely on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to sing in just a few moments. But I know that there's some men and women in this room that need to be honest. They need to get honest with themselves. They need to get honest before God. And you need to get honest with others. And John says, this is walking in the light. And this is really key to fellowship. And fellowship with God and fellowship with my brother and my sister, this is key to joy. Lord, thank you for the cross of this, the Son of God. Lord, thank you for the precious promises in these verses. God, we know our need. We've sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And you are holy and you are perfect in every way. How is it possible that we know you, that we have fellowship with you, that we have a relationship with you, it's only possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ, the provision of Christ. His death, His resurrection. And Lord, for the man, the woman, the boy, the girl today, that maybe your spirit is beginning to plow up the road in their heart, convicting them of their sin and their need. Lord, may today they come to faith in Jesus. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.